Hey there, everybody. This is Dr. Robin Byers with the City of Charlotte, and I am here with our next Green Minds podcast with Catherine. Welcome, everybody. We have Michael Dexter and Nick Defley, both with SSDN, who are going to be talking with us today about the IRA and all the wonderful benefits that we may or may not be getting. (laughs) And with that, I'd like to ask Michael and Nick to go ahead and introduce themselves. Great. Thank you, Robin. This is Michael Dexter. I am the Director of Federal Programs for SSDN. I've been with SSDN now for the past three years, originally joining from a state special district where I oversaw grants and finances uh, around watershed protection. And prior to that, I was actually at the EPA for upwards of six years. But my role with SSDN is really to help connect our local governments and local governments across the Southeast with the federal resources. So think of me as someone to be there for you to answer questions you might have, recognizing even if I don't have the answer, I can look to our peers, our support networks, and other opportunities to really provide the best available information on some of these upcoming and current grants. I'll turn it over to Nick. Thanks, Michael, and hi, everyone. My name is Nick Defley. I am the Director of Federal Resources at the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. And I actually just started in August of 23, so I am a relative newbie to the organization. But actually, prior to that, I've spent nine years as the sustainability director for the city of Savannah, Georgia, which is where I am continuing to work from with SSDN. Uh, And so I had the privilege of helping start that department for the city of Savannah and continue to kind of carve out space and build sustainability and resilience and equity work at the city of Savannah. Uh, But I was also a municipal member of SSDN. So I'm longtime family and and familiar with SSDN. Prior to that, I had uh, various stints in workforce development here in Savannah. And then prior to that, I worked at the University of Minnesota for about nine years in their building operations, building science, and helped work on a lot of inclusion of DBE and other contractors in the work at the city of Savannah. Glad to be here. You guys obviously bring a wealth of knowledge in sustainability in general, but also with the Southeast and everything we're dealing with down here. Wonderful. I'm going to let Catherine kick it off with our very first question. First question is not really that serious, but we love to hear from other sources of inspiration. We love to know who is bringing joy to people's lives. Let's go with Michael first. Who is your sustainability hero? Thank you for that. And I love that question. I'm going to have to cheat slightly and say two. One would be Sylvia Earle. Uh, Her deepness, as she's oftentimes affectionately called, is a leader in marine science observation and an explorer going down to the bottom of the marine areas. Similarly, I would say also Meg Wellman, a canopy explorer. So looking from the bottom of the marine environment to the top of the terrestrial environment, I really do love both of those explorers and scientists, and they're both my sustainability heroes. I'm also going to have to cheat, and I'm going to cheat even more, Michael. So I had I, I love this question as well, and I haven't thought about it in so long. So, I mean, there's countless folks we all know who have been pioneers in the space, and I, I think we all appreciate. But I will start with the cheesiest answer first, which is my father, uh, who is no longer with me in this life. But, uh, he taught me how to walk quietly in the woods. And from that, I I really appreciate and got a lot of appreciation for the natural environment and just listening and being aware of the world around me. So that's my cheesy answer. But then beyond that, 
for me, who inspired me to really get into this work, oddly enough, was Paul Hawken. And I don't know if you all are aware of Paul Hawken. He wrote several books around ecology of commerce and kind of circular economy. And when I read, he had one book that he wrote in in partnership with Rocky Mountain Institute folks, uh, was Natural Capitalism, and really talked about how the world could operate in a circular economy. I really just resonated with that. And that was what inspired me to get into the work. But then my final cheat, third answer, there are so many young people out there who are really doing incredible uh, work in environmental equity issues. And I realized reading this question, it's like, that's who I want to know. That's that's who I want to now get inspired by. So I don't have a name, but I just know there's many of them out there. I think sometimes in our work, we get so, you know, most of us have gotten here with some environmental focus. And so it's nice to be brought back to the circular economy and that thought process because without economic sustainability, it's all going to bust anyway. So it's important to keep that in mind. Right. I think these uh, were great answers and uh, no worries about cheating. Robin, do you want to go ahead for the for the real questions? Yes. But first, we're going to give some airtime to Michael because he has an anniversary he'd like to share with all of our wonderful listeners and anyone else who would like to start listening to Green Minds about some, some great stuff we've been doing. Perfect. Thank you. First and foremost, I just want to recognize that Around two years ago, on November 15, 2021, President Biden signed into act what was the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. This is now known more oftentimes by the acronym BIL, or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, but it represented a historic opportunity for local access to federal infrastructure funding for everything from transportation, water, broadband, energy, you name it. It really provided a broad set of investments for sustainability and equity. This was followed up six to nine months later by the Inflation Reduction Act. So in that short period, we saw a major investment in our ability to invest in communities for advancing sustainability and equity. As you look over the past two years, I really just wanted to recognize the SSDM members and those communities in the Southeast that have really benefited from this. We saw over 84 communities just in our network be direct recipients of the direct allocation from the Department of Energy's Energy Efficiency Conservation Block Grants. Not only that, we also had two competitive awards for the EECBG competitive program. Additionally, we also saw major investments in solid waste infrastructure of over 7 million. We saw 27 selectees representing approximately 63 million in the Inflation Reduction Act Urban and Community Forestry Program. So we're really starting to see the investments from not only the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, but the Inflation Reduction Act actually hit home to communities in the Southeast U.S. And we're really looking forward to the next couple of years as we start to see the results of these programs and grant projects really come to fruition and really help invest in their communities. How awesome is that for our network? Just hearing all that gives me goosebumps that all the stuff we've been able to accomplish. I'll throw some kudos back to you guys. I don't think half of us would be able to do any of our work without the support of SSDN. So really appreciate your support and helping us get there. Speaking of IRA, that's what our topic is today. And so we have quite a few questions. We have the different funds themselves that are coming out of the the Inflation Reduction Act. There are different timelines for these. I think our jurisdictions, whether they're big 
like where I work, or small, where Catherine works, we're all a bit overwhelmed by all of the opportunity and the different timelines and what do we go for and what do we not go for. Some of us have grant writers on staff. Some of us don't have grant writers on staff, which is great for the local infrastructure hub, which Nick is going to help talk to us about. But really, we just wanted to do a brief overview for someone who hasn't been able to see you guys speak at another conference or haven't had the chance to talk to you guys otherwise about where are we in terms of IRA timeline and then what kind of tools do we have available and what does the next couple of months look like for us? So with that, I'll turn it over to whoever wants to start. I'll start and then kick it over to Nick. Well, I'll say both of the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act we're just now starting to scratch the surface of the actual potential for investment. For the bipartisan infrastructure law, we've generally seen the first and second years of funding be released for that. Now, for the Inflation Reduction Act, most of that was not necessarily recurring funding, but this sort of lump sum, uh, single competition type programs. And we're just starting to see that. We saw not only the urban uh, and community forestry from USDA be announced and then also awarded, but we're starting to see, generally, as we look toward the end of 2023 and into 2024, uh, the announcement of several major programs. One that is really uh, near and dear to my heart is EPA's Community Change or the Climate and Environmental Justice uh, Block Grant Program. Uh, this is authorized and funded under the IRA really to invest in CDOs to help tackle a whole host of environmental justice-associated uh, conditions. Uh, one of the key areas here is that that program is generally meant for CDOs or CDOs in partnership with a local government entity. And that's really where I see a lot of potential in the Southeast to develop these relationships and then receive the funding over the course of the next year to really implement some of these major projects to correct the historic disparities in some of our communities. Now, when you look at the IRA specifically, one of the big key impacts of that it's not going to be really felt in the near term, but more over the long term. Particularly as we look at the tax incentives, there's going to be deployment of that over the course of generally the next decade. So many communities right now are just starting to really assess how the IRA is going to impact them, and then looking at the long term, how they can plan accordingly with future investments. Generally, when I look at the timelines, one thing I would highly recommend to any community out there is to check SSDM's Grant Opportunity Database. Now, this is a publicly available resource that provides not only a list of current uh, grants, but also highlights some of the upcoming grants that we're anticipating and the time frame in which we're anticipating them. Now, I do have to caveat that this is never going to be definitive. I'm never going to be able to say this will open up on such and such date. But by and large, we're able to provide a general time frame around when these opportunities are going to be posted. And that's going to be a key area that you all can use to really for that funding in advance of the solicitation. Because in many cases, having a 60-day window to put together a competitive application is just not only not advisable, but not possible. That's one of the key areas, particularly with the IRA, we're seeing these longer horizons for applications. This is going to be seen within the uh, upcoming community change grant that I mentioned, where we might actually see that be open for upwards of one year. That's going to be a provide a key opportunity for communities to really take their time and be very deliberate in putting together a successful application. All of that's really great. Michael has put this together himself and it's a great resource if you haven't seen it yet. 
Nick, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, absolutely. And I I will just double down on what you just added. Michael has done some great work on that federal grant tracking spreadsheet, and it is really fantastic and gives, I think, local governments just such insight into thinking a little further down the road. So we're always having to react in local government so quickly to so many different things. And so this is a way to actually plan a little bit ahead. And Michael's done a great job just kind of giving us a little bit of a roadmap and an insight so that we aren't just constantly just playing reaction. So Local Infrastructure Hub, that's actually what I was brought on to SSDN to help support. And it's really, in very quick terms, it's like, how do we help our communities in the Southeast really be ultra competitive for so much of the federal funding that Michael just outlined? And that's whether you're a local government or a community-based organization or nonprofit. And the Local Infrastructure Hub, as a broader program, was launched as a Bloomberg Philanthropies Initiative along with Waverly Foundation and Ford Foundation to really ensure that all communities could increase their competitiveness and access to these federal funding opportunities. And do that really by helping build local government capacity, strengthening partnerships with nonprofits and community-based organizations, and enhancing some of that local community engagement. And at the crux of it is really helping communities that are cross-cutting in projects that address both climate change and racial wealth equity and racial wealth building. So that is a key, I'll repeat it, that LIH is really supporting those opportunities and those communities who are going after both addressing climate impacts and supporting and promoting racial wealth equity. And that is so important in all the sustainability and resilience work that I know all of our members do. SSDN's local infrastructure hub is actually one of two organizations in the country piloting this initiative with Bloomberg. The other one is Elevate out of Chicago, And I just wanted to give a brief shout out there. They cover the Midwest territories. Uh, We have two of these pilot initiatives going on. For SSDN, many of our members already know the states that SSDN focuses in, which is Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. But in this case with LIH, we also are supporting the state of Texas. I think it's pretty key to mention that. This is 12 states, which is a great area to cover. And the other piece I want to mention is this is not just for SSDN members. SSDN membership is not required in order to participate and receive LIH support. Communities need our support. And so what SSDN has provided is a bench of technical uh, assistance providers. These are grant writers. These are folks who have expertise in enhanced community engagement, building science, workforce training, so many different areas that we know many of these federal opportunities coming down the line, they're all looking for those collective kind of systemic projects, really, that cover all of those different areas. Justice 40 is such a large component that you have to address in order to be competitive in these these opportunities. So as some examples of the types of services that could be provided, let's say you are a community-based organization or a local government who has a project idea that really is cross-cutting at that intersection of addressing climate impacts and racial wealth equity, you have the federal opportunity in mind in your sites that you want to apply for, you just don't have the capacity, well, you can apply to the LIH program and actually get a crack grant writing team that's going to come in and has experience doing federal grant applications, help get you that grant across the finish line in a competitive fashion and really work with that that city or that local government or that CBO to do it. As another option, we have the capacity through LIH to provide direct dollar assistance for capacity building to community-based organizations. 
Nonprofits, community-based organizations can certainly apply to federal funding opportunities. There are ones like the EPA Community Change Grant coming up that is one that they can direct apply for. But we also know that if CBOs want to apply, many of them need added capacity. Um, that added capacity could come in the form of additional IT support for their own organization. It could also be a financial audit of their organization. We know so many nonprofits out there who are working to just do the mission of the work that they they were founded to, to do, but they haven't always taken the time to kind of shore up their own organizational structure. What LIH is able to provide is direct financial support to help meet one of those capacity needs that that CBO might have. So we aren't just investing in a one-time uh, support of one grant. The intention of LIH is really to help build strength in that community, help that community level up in their relationships with local government, community-based organizations, and shore up both of them so that they have the added capacity, the added knowledge of how to apply for a federal grant so that they're there for the long term. They can take advantage of multiple funding opportunities coming down the line. And then a third kind of lighter touch bucket that LIH can help with is perhaps if you have a general idea of a project, but you want to make it uh, stronger, you want to enhance it, you want to make sure it's really competitive for whatever application you might be applying for, we can bring technical assistance in to actually help support developing that idea a little further, really enhancing the workforce development, the racial wealth building component, whatever the climate impacts that you're trying to have help help enhance those. And then I help identify a federal opportunity coming down the line that really links up and syncs well with that project idea. So we are going out doing the roadshow of local infrastructure hub around the Southeast and talking to community-based organizations and local governments, large and small. And we've had, I would say that's that's another piece I'll add is that, Robin, you mentioned it earlier, it doesn't matter what size community you are. Large communities that just don't have the capacity at the moment and small communities who have never done a federal grant before or community-based organizations that are just still trying to coalesce some of their members and their residents into more of a representative body that can start doing more regular work in the resilience and equity and climate space. LIH is here to help with that. I absolutely love this opportunity that you bring to communities that never really stood a chance. I was part of the Thriving Earth Exchange program at some point, and I remember hearing quite troubling stories from Mississippi and Louisiana, really small communities that did not have the capacity to really fund any any projects, any planning work. And I think you're filling in a gap, and it's it's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful to hear. And for the record, Sandy Springs is not that small. We're 110,000. <laughs> I'll just add too, I think highlighting that you guys will help support CBOs as well and even help support capacity building for a lot of those. I would encourage our listeners and our membership to really think about that intentionally because just in my experience, when you work for the local government, you take on everything. And we can't do everything. So helping to support the communities so that they can do a piece. And, and that's not on our plate. That's on someone else's plate. But we still know it's getting done. Ultimately, we'll help grow our sustainability across the Southeast. I mean, we're only as sustainable as our as our least sustainable community. So I really appreciate the, the forethought for LIH. And I look forward to using it. We are going to post the link. But... 
How do you access this stuff? The link that you all will post will be the SSDN Local Infrastructure Hub website. If you scroll down, there will be two links. The one on the right, it's a purple button. It is the application. It's a Word document that you download. It is a very simple, straightforward application. I think there's 11 questions on it. Half of them are things like, what is your organization? Where are you? Um, what type of project might you be pursuing? Do you need direct support? Or pretty simple questions. It's designed to be a relatively light lift because we know that the challenge is the everyday work that, that folks have to deal with and applying for a federal grant is a really big lift as well. So this application for LIH is quite short and straightforward. You send that their instructions there to send that off for consideration. And usually within about five business days, we get back to that applicant with a confirmation of, yes, we can actually support this. I mean, it meets all those LIH requirements around climate and equity, and we have the capacity and the, the technical support that we can align with that applicant and go ahead and get you guys rolling. And what we really ask at the end, once you get through whatever it is you're trying to do, if that's capacity building with the, the community-based organization or if it's a federal grant across the finish line, once that is complete, we ask for a very simple report back, report out, to us because we also have to be accountable to the funders and we certainly also want to learn best practices from communities who have done something really cool and also the challenges that they face along the way. It's all a learning process for us and something that we consider valuable to our other communities in the Southeast that we want to be able to share. So we would ask for a small report back on did you accomplish what you sought out to accomplish? And if you applied for a federal grant, we would like a copy of that application narrative again, for best practice sharing with other communities. Thank you so much for that overview. We had uh, a couple more questions. So the first one is, is it first come, first serve for an uh, LIH or is it a competitive process or do you guys just do like a rolling assignment? It is rolling. There's not a deadline on the application. We anticipate as at least having funding to provide LIH assistance, technical support, through at least the middle of 2024. That's what we can confirm at the moment. We are working, of course, to secure additional funding. And I, I think that stands in a strong chance of happening, but we can't yet confirm that one way or the other. But it is a rolling application and it is really based on meeting those general requirements of that I pointed out at the beginning with LIH, that you are cross-cutting with your project or your, your services that you provide as a community-based organization around climate and equity. This is awesome. I will say from experience, someone on my team has filled out that brief application. We've sent it in and Nick did get back to us. So we're starting the process. I can say it's very simple. And I'll also share that Nick and Michael have made themselves available when we just wanted to talk through ideas and we had no idea if any of those ideas had teeth and if there was any funding available to help us work through that. And they have both been great resources uh, for my team, as well as I hope everyone else in the network. So if you're not calling or emailing them, maybe you should. We're going to keep Michael and Nick employed at least for a couple of years, just with, with this podcast alone. But great resources, super helpful. Really appreciate you guys putting all the effort into this. I can say for both of us, we are happy to do it. This is I mean, this is why we're here and we want to be able to help as many communities as we can. So 
we really appreciate you all because you all are the ones doing the work on the ground in a region that's not always conducive to sustainability, climate, and equity work. Catherine, do you have any other questions you'd like to ask Michael or Nick? I believe it is time for take a question, leave a question. Yes. Okay, so this is a gift from Laura Thomas with Richmond, Virginia. And she asked, you wake up one morning, climate change is solved, we did it. All the issues are gone. What do you do now? Michael, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Uh, I Finishing off with a theme from earlier, I'll just retire. I mean, uh, <laughs> retire, then go uh, around the country camping, uh, taking wildlife photography, just enjoying myself. I'll turn it over to you, Nick. Oh, man, that was so optimistic and nice. Honestly, I would, I would absolutely breathe easier. I would sleep better. But thinking about that, it's like, well, you know, we're in the life-affirming business, right? I mean, in sustainability and resilience. So there's always going to be something, and I'm sure I would dive into that. But in the meantime, I would do woodworking and play more music and sleep better. Yep. Sleep. We could all use a little bit more sleep, I think. <laughs> and so now what we would like to do is ask you guys to leave a question for the next person that we interview. I'll ask the question. And I'll give maybe a little context. But my question is, from where do you all draw hope and what inspires you to continue your work? Probably doesn't need a lot of context since we're all sustainability and resilience folks. But I mean, just thinking about all the work we're doing day in, day out to make this place healthier, more just, more equitable, while we're also, we're filled with the knowledge and we see it every day of all the challenges we face. And we can't do this work without hope. We're always trying to inspire others, make positive change. So just being in these positions means we have hope. So I know everyone has an answer and I want to know what gives you hope? What, what inspires you to do this work? Let me ask, is there anything else that you guys feel like you need to say to get out there to the communities that have not gotten it yet or have not heard this one piece that you just think everyone needs to jump on? I'll add one thing real quick, and that is simply about Local Infrastructure Hub. If you're at all curious, you read the website, you you know see the one pager, but you still just don't know, email me, call me, put, please put my information out there with the podcast. I am happy to take whatever time I need to to walk through it uh, and help you decide whether or not it's a good fit. We want you to apply. That goes for both of us. Regardless of whether you have a project in mind that you're looking for funding now, or you just want to learn a little bit more about what opportunities there are out there, whether funding, technical assistance, you name it, please do reach out. Again, uh, regardless of even whether you're an SSDM member, we would love to just talk with you, learn a little bit more about your community, your needs, and then help try to match that with available resources. As always, guys, it's a pleasure to talking to both of you. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. It was fun. Thank, Thank you. you.